It's so easy as adults to let the busyness and the stress and the to-do lists of this time of year to rob us of that childlike wonder that we all used to have. You know, it seems like when you were a child, you waited for Christmas to come, and you waited, and you waited, and you waited, and it just seemed to take forever to get here. But as adults, it gets here way too fast, right? I mean, it's just like you blink your eyes, and it's the next year's Christmas. And the way that we can reverse that, I think, is by remembering that Christmas does start right here. It begins in the Word of God. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis Let's look at chapter 27. Like I said last week, Christmas didn't even begin in a manger in Bethlehem. Christmas began all the way back in the garden. Christmas began in eternity past in the very heart and mind of God. So yeah, we're going to Genesis. You may think, well, I didn't know the Christmas story was in Genesis. But I hope that this will all make some sense as we go. You know, as I think about waiting, you know, Advent is a time of waiting and, and as adults, well, as children too, I mean, you wanted Christmas to get here fast when you were a kid. Because we don't like to wait, do we? I mean, that's why when you go to amusement parks, they've got fast passes. So you don't have to wait in line. That's why restaurants have reservations or call-ahead seating. So you don't have to wait to be seated at the restaurant. That's why hospitals advertise their ERs have the, the shortest wait time. And that's why, and I'm so thankful for this. I mean, this is the time to be alive. When you have to call customer service, they now have a callback feature. So you don't have to wait on the phone for that representative to answer your very important call. They will call you. It's great. Because we don't like to wait. We feel like that time waiting is time wasted. And and so we get very impatient these days. We get impatient with our friends and family. We get impatient with school. We get impatient with work. We even get impatient with church. You know, people aren't changing fast enough. The church isn't growing fast enough. The preacher's not getting the sermon done fast enough. We get so impatient. We get impatient with ourselves. We, we expect our progress to move a lot faster than it does. Whether you're trying to save up money, get out of debt, lose weight, work out, study to get better in school, it just seems to always take so long. And we even can find ourselves getting impatient with God like the psalmist We say, how long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? We don't like to wait. And oftentimes we feel like the waiting is just a colossal waste of time. Which is why we need Advent. Because Advent teaches us that your waiting is never wasting when you're waiting on the Lord. Because God is always at work in our waiting. This story, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, reminds us that we can have hope. That the Lord is at work while we wait. Waiting on God isn't like waiting for a table at a restaurant. It's not like waiting in the doctor's office. You're not waiting for God to get around to you. God sees you. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. Waiting on God is more like when you're at the mechanic shop and they're working on your car. They're working while you're waiting. God is working while you're waiting. And He even gives us a job to do in the meantime. So last week we talked about how Abram and Sarah embodied the hope that we focus on in the first week of Advent. The hope that Jesus ultimately came to fulfill. And Abraham and Sarah had to wait decades before Isaac was born. And then the descendants of Abraham had to wait 500 years before God finally gave them the promised land. And still God's people hoped in the Lord. 
And that hope did not disappoint. Well, today I want us to look at Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau, to help us understand how our hoping and our waiting can actually produce peace and help us to become makers of peace with each other. Our Old Testament reading you heard this morning from Isaiah 2 is a beautiful picture of a world not being ripped apart by war. A world without mass murders, domestic violence, human trafficking, divisive politics, or broken marriages. It's a nice idea. Turning weapons of war into farming utensils to feed instead of kill. It's a beautiful idea. How do we get there? How do we take our broken world from here to that ideal? Well, a few chapters later, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 9. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Once again, Isaiah invokes the imagery of war. He talks about soldiers' boots. He talks about bloody garments. But the promise is that someday they will be burned. There will be no more slavery or oppression. No more war or violence. And that hoped for peace and freedom, our safety, our deliverance, will come about through a child, a son. And of course, such a boy couldn't just be any child. He'll be a child born to us. He'll be God's gift to all humanity. And what a gift He will be. The, the one and the one true and eternal King of kings. One name is not enough for Him. One title can't begin to capture who He is. Here in this verse we see four titles. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, and the Prince of Peace. And doesn't a Prince of Peace sound good right about now? We need that peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives us is internal. And it's eternal. It's deeper and more profound than any man-made peace. And Jesus brings us this peace in at least three ways. And these three ways are beautifully illustrated in this story of this encounter that Jacob had with God. The first, the first way that Jesus gives us peace is He gives us peace with our past. And He does that through forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness, and that allows us to have peace with our past. You know, the greatest conflict in the world today isn't between nations, it's between kingdoms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of of this world, the kingdom of darkness. That's the conflict. Since the Garden of Eden, a sin war has been raged between a holy God and a rebellious humanity. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, the original source of all violence, all war, all conflict is sin. 
And the general who leads the army of evil is none other than Satan himself. There are spiritual powers at work in this world. We should never doubt that. But Paul says that we are at war not with flesh and blood. Not with other people. No, he says we're at war against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, the real war is spiritual. And if that's true, then isn't the real solution also spiritual? If our real enemies are the powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of Satan, then presidents and congresses and armies and man-made laws, they're not our ultimate solution, are they? And this brings us to Jacob. I want to briefly review his story with you. You remember Abraham and Sarah finally had their miracle baby. Isaac, the son of the promise, was born. And Isaac grew up and he met and married Rebekah. And just like his father and mother, Rebekah and Isaac could not conceive. They tried and they tried and they tried to have a child and they could not and they prayed and they prayed and prayed and finally God spoke to them and said, I'm going to give you not just one, but two sons. They would have twins. Esau was the firstborn. And Jacob came out second, holding on to his foot, as if he were trying to pull Esau back in so he could be the first one born. And that defined Jacob and Esau's relationship for the rest of their life. Jacob always seemed to be jealous of Esau's position as the older brother. He would do anything to usurp his brother's place in the family. So their relationship was one of strife. It was one of deception and distrust and conflict. The name Jacob is an interesting name. It means grasper because he was grasping onto his brother's heel. It can also mean deceiver. So if grasping was Jacob's life goal, deception was his strategy. That was the kind of person he was. Jacob tricked his impulsive brother into selling him his birthright as the firstborn son, his place as the future patriarch of the family. And Esau sold that to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And then with his mother's help, Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that would forever seal his place of power. What he did, if you remember, is he pretended to be his brother Esau who was hairy, so he put all this fur on him and he... He wore Esau's clothes because Isaac was blind. So when Isaac smelled him and felt him, he would think it was his son. And he, he took the wild game that his father loved, prepared it just the way. Rebecca helped him prepare it just the way he likes. He brought it in, he offered it to him, and he lied to his father. And his father gave him the blessing that belonged to Esau. And after Esau discovered what happened, his response, well, it's heartbreaking. And that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 27, beginning in verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up, eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then? that hunted game and brought it to me. I ate it just before you came. And I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me! Me too, father! But he said, Your brother came 
and deceitfully took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebekah gets wind of this and she gives Jacob warning of Esau's plans. And so Jacob flees for his life. The hill grabber became the high tailor. The deceiver became the deserter. He was a man on the run from his family from God, and from his past. Jacob's story is a sad one. He repeats the same pattern with his uncle Laban, but only after Laban gives him a taste of his own medicine, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying both of his daughters and giving him 14 years of free labor on the farm. And after that, Jacob then, once again, flees on the run. But God is working in Jacob's heart. God's at work through all of this. And eventually, Jacob and Laban, they make amends. And they're able to part ways amicably. And this sort of inspires Jacob. Maybe I can bury the hatchet with my brother once and for all. Maybe we can be reconciled too. But before Jacob could find peace with Esau, Jacob needed to experience forgiveness through the Prince of Peace. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, He is the real hope for peace in our world, in our heart, in our relationships with other people. In Romans 5.10, Paul gives us, the enemies of God, further good news because he says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. You see, like everyone else, Jacob, because of his sin, was an enemy of God. Yes, he had schemed and, and worked his way into that blessing that God gave Abraham, but he was far from God in his heart. Maybe you, like Jacob, are far from God today. You're living a life of deceiving, of sin, of rebelling against your Creator. Jacob's story tells us we don't have to be at war with God anymore. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to first and foremost reconcile us with our Father and our Creator. And for Jacob, that happened in this amazing, unique encounter with the living God, with what I believe was the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Look with me in Genesis 32. Just turn over a couple of pages in your Bible. Genesis 32. Jacob has gotten word that is, he, sent, he sent some servants to find Esau. He wants to make amends. And he hears from his men that Esau is actually on his way to meet Jacob. And he's got an army of 400 men with him. 
This makes Jacob really nervous. So he takes his flocks and his herds and his servants and his family and he splits them up into two groups, you know. So they're going to divide them up so that, so that you know, if Esau attacks, he won't take them all out. Then he also prepares some gifts and he sends these gifts ahead with his servants. It's sort of a way to kind of bribe his brother to be in his good graces. Now we pick up in verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go. For it is daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This kind of strange, bizarre encounter changed Jacob forever. God gave him three things in this encounter. He gave him a new identity. He gave him a physical reminder of the encounter. And he gave him a promise for the future. And that new identity that God gave him was symbolized in a new name. It was a constant reminder that through Jesus, Jacob's past was forgiven. He could now be at peace with his past and free to reconcile with his brother. No longer would Jacob be the grasper, striving to hang on to power and possessions and position by his own strength and scheming. Instead, Jacob was free to stop grasping, to let go and let God be in charge. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we do that, if we let go, if we confess our sins and we give them up to God, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jacob's new name was Israel, meaning one who wrestles with God. He was now free to live as Israel, as one who trusted God, even if wrestling with God in prayer. And so doing, prevailing. Jacob said of this meeting with the pre-incarnate God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So this Christmas, when we look to Jesus in faith, we are looking to Jacob's Savior. The Lord who wants us to surrender our whole selves to Him in faith and trust. And like Israel, God will give us a new identity. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Paul's saying, you once were lost, but now you're found. You once were alienated from God by your very nature an enemy of wrath, but now you are an adopted son or daughter of the King, an heir of God, and a co-heir with Christ Jesus. You used to be a liar. You used to be an idolater. You used to be a slanderer or an adulterer. You used to be violent, 
thieving, gossiping, drunk, greedy. But as Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians, that is what some of you were. Past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus wants to give you peace with your past today. He wants to give you a new name in Christ. Child of God. Follower of Jesus. But like Jacob, you first have to have an encounter with Jesus. Wrestle with your guilt. Confess your sin. And let it go. Stop grasping. Stop deceiving. Stop striving in your own strength and self-righteousness. And grab hold of God. He will make you into a new creation. He will reconcile you with Himself. And declare you righteous. You'll go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Let Him rescue you from that kingdom of darkness and make you a citizen of the kingdom of life and light. Jesus wants to give you a new identity and give you peace with your past. Secondly, He wants to give you peace with your present. And He does that through giving us wholeness. See, beyond a new name is a reminder that his past had been forgiven. God gave Jacob an ever-present physical reminder of this encounter, a reminder that was with him every single day, a reminder that he should stop grasping and keep trusting the Lord. Sometimes we have to be broken before we can be made whole. Sometimes God has to allow or bring painful circumstances into our lives so that our hands will be placed on Him. Sometimes that means that we have a limp afterward. But if we learn the lesson of truly surrendering ourselves and allowing Christ to be in charge of deciding how and when we'll be blessed, I think we'll find that that limp is worth it. James writes about this. James encourages us to see the difficulties and testings of life as God's way of sanctifying us, of making us more and more like Jesus. He writes in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because. Why would you consider it joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And if we let perseverance finish its work, James says we'll be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Except the ringtone, maybe, so. It's okay. It happens. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. I want you to look at that last phrase. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. There's a Hebrew word that describes that idea. That Hebrew word is the word that we translate peace. And that Hebrew word is shalom. (laughs) Let's just all sing along. I'm I'm not sure what the song is, but... The word shalom that we translate peace means far more than the absence of conflict. It means to be mature. It means to be complete. It means to be whole. It means that we're not lacking anything. Both James and Jacob reveal to us that it is through our wounds that we find wholeness. It's sort of ironic that it is through our woundedness that we are made whole. It is through striving, even wrestling with God, that we find that lasting peace. The kind of peace that completes us. The kind of peace that matures us. The kind of peace that makes us whole and happy. And that's really the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
By the Spirit, God is transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. Making us holy, making us righteous. It's a lifelong process of being made new, whole, and holy. Of helping us to live into our new identity in Christ. Just as Jacob's limp helped him remember he was no longer the grasper, but the one who wrestled with God and lived, so the Holy Spirit in our lives is a reminder. What Paul called a down payment. A seal of God's promise on our hearts. He helps us live into our new identity as those the Prince of Peace has come to rescue and reconcile with God and turn us ourselves into peacemakers so that we can be agents of of reconciliation to a broken world. The Holy Spirit does that in every believer. How do you need Jesus to be your Prince of Peace in your daily walk? How do you need Him to be the Prince of Peace in your relationships? In your workplace? At school? I pray this morning you would let Jesus bring peace and wholeness into your present. Let Him reconcile restore, heal, and make whole whatever is wounded or broken in your life or your world. Jesus wants to give you peace in the present. Finally, He wants to give you peace in the future, and He does that through hope. We touched on this last week. I want to read for you. I want you to listen to this very familiar story, especially this time of year, from Luke chapter 2. The angel has appeared to the shepherds out watching their flocks by night. And in verse 10 it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Isn't this our long-awaited promise? We ache for peace on earth, don't we? Jesus, our Prince of Peace, not only gives us peace with the past through forgiveness, He not only gives us peace in the present through His healing and restoring power, He gives us peace for the future. He gives us a hope so that we don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. We don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds. And even though this sounds cliche, it's so true because we know who holds tomorrow in His hand. Amen? Now what did this hope for future peace look like for Jacob? We pick up the story in Genesis 33. If you'll turn back to Genesis 33, where Jacob, Israel, stops scheming. Stops trying to bribe his brother with gifts. Stops hiding and trusts God to bring the reconciliation. Jacob meets his brother Esau face to face, and much to Jacob's surprise, Esau comes running toward him, not with a sword in his hand to attack, but with his arms open wide in an embrace. Look with me, beginning in, uh, let's start in verse 4 of Genesis 33. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. And next Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I've met? He's talking about all those servants with gifts. 
that Jacob had sent the day before, the day before his encounter with God, when he was still trying to bribe his brother and earn his good graces, Jacob answered, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. And then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. What a change Jacob went through. I mean, he, he had already set up these gifts in advance. He intended to, to earn Esau's favor and forgiveness. But now, after his encounter with Christ, now he doesn't see them as a way to earn favor, but as, a, as an expression of grace and gratitude. He, he wants to give them to Esau out of a generous heart. So not only has Jacob stopped grasping for what he thought he deserved, now he's willing to graciously give to his brother out of God's mercy toward him. And when Jacob tells Esau to see your face is like seeing the face of God, that means something when you've spent all night long wrestling with God face to face, doesn't it? And see, Jacob realized that night that he wrestled with God face to face and God accepted him favorably. And so now... When, Jake, when Esau uh, accepts him favorably, favorably, Jacob sees in him the face of God. You see, when you meet Jesus, you begin to see Jesus everywhere. When you experience the grace of God, it opens your eyes to see the smaller graces that God puts in our life all around us. We're forever changed. And we become people of grace. We want to extend that grace of God to others. And that is our hope for the future. That just as Jesus has made us new, so Jesus will make others new. In fact, someday Jesus will make all things new. That is our future hope. Jacob was the child of the promise, the father of the people of Israel, the kingdom of priests through which God revealed himself to the world and through whom Jesus came to overcome and redeem the world. And world peace will only come when Christ comes again to make all things new. And people from all tribes and nations and tongues will gather as one around the throne to worship the Lamb who was slain. And we will be at peace with one another and with God. And then God's promise to Abraham will find its deepest fullness and that all the families of the earth will have been blessed through him. You've heard the good news this morning of the Prince of Peace. I think you know in your heart what you need to do. First, you need to let Jesus make peace with your past sins. If you've never done that this morning, I invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus to forgive you of whatever is in your past. Whatever you have done, He can make you right with God. Stop grasping at religion. Stop grasping at self-righteousness. Let go of yourself. Let go of your reputation. Let go of your good works. Let go of your sin. And trust God to give you peace with your past. If you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you in just a moment to do that today. Experience His forgiveness and His peace. Secondly, we need to let God give us peace in our present. Jesus alone can make us whole. He alone is the source of real healing and restoration. So whatever you're facing today, whatever your struggles, whatever your trials, whatever your hurts, habits, or hang-ups, my prayer is that 
whatever your weakness, whatever your thorn in the flesh, whatever your limp, that you would come to God today and discover that He wants to take it and use it for your good, your growth, and His glory. He wants to make you whole and give you peace with whatever you're facing today. And finally, let Jesus give you peace for the future. He is our hope that no matter what tomorrow holds, God is already there tomorrow at work taking those things and making them work for our good. To those of us who are called according to His purpose. So don't be anxious. Fear not, as the angels would always tell people, but trust Jesus and find peace. Whatever God has spoken to you today, I invite you to stand to pray with me and to come. Father, thank you for the, the story of Jacob and Esau, Lord. What a beautiful picture of how you can take all of our mistakes, all of our brokenness, all of our, our, our character flaws, and you can use them for our good and for your glory. Lord, there are people here today that need your forgiveness. They need to be made at peace with their past, God, so they can move on, not as who they were, but who they can be today in Christ. If there's people here, Lord, that are struggling and dealing with grief and hurt and anguish and, and difficulties in their life, God, help them to have peace in their present, to know that you are going to work all those things together to make them whole, to give them shalom and peace. And God, we all have fears for the future. There are all of us have decisions to make. We have we have things that are facing us. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a test coming up in school. Maybe, maybe it's the knowledge that we know we need to step out of our comfort zone and serve you in some way. And it scares us. God, give us peace in our future with the hope that you are already there. You are already in charge. And you will give us all the things that we need. May we respond to you in faith and trust. In Jesus' name, amen.